We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. How's it going, everybody? This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 69. Welcome to the show. Hopefully, you listened to episode 68. I did an interview with Donnie Collins of the Scranton Times Tribune. We talked about the uh, the Rail Riders and a lot of the young guys in the minors. So if you have not listened to that episode, be sure to listen to that after. Uh, we talked about uh, Swisher, Judge, Ref Snyder, and a lot of good stuff. Scott, what's up? Yeah, man, nice work on that interview. I, I'm sorry I couldn't make it, but it was a, it was really it was very informative. Donnie was really good, actually. You have a lot of really good information on on the AAA guys. I mean, he sees them every day, so it, you know, obviously, he has a lot more in-depth knowledge and just by by seeing them play every day than than we do by hearing and looking at stats and and, and some highlights. So, um, I know we're going to throw a lot more of these bonus episodes out this season. So that was good stuff. Nice work. 
Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it was too bad you couldn't make it. I found it interesting that he had been covering Scranton baseball for, for 25, 30 years. So he saw it from when it was the uh, the Phillies minor league team as well as the Yankees. So definitely a lot of good stuff in that episode. I encourage people to go listen to it. And hopefully we'll be able to have Donnie back on halfway through the season or something and we get an update on a lot of these guys that you know you might otherwise not be able to see and, and see some of the highlights and all that kind of stuff. So as I said, episode 69, it was hard to find somebody on the Yankees in, in their history who has worn that number. It belongs to one man named Alan Mills, and he wore it from 1990 to 1991. In 1990, we were just looking this up before the show, he was the only Yankee rookie to make the roster in 1990. Uh, he pitched for 10 seasons for the Yankees, Orioles, and Dodgers. And I was looking at his stats, and, and he had like a 4.12 ERA over his career. He was like a like a middle of the road uh, bullpen arm. And then I get down to the spot on Baseball Reference where it says how much money he made in his career, and he made over ten million dollars. So it pays to be mediocre in the big leagues in the uh, post strike era of baseball when salaries skyrocketed. Yeah, I, you know, I've already told my wife when we have a kid, I'm I'm training this kid to be a lefty middle reliever because he'll have a job until he's 45 years old right. and he won't have to throw more than one inning at a time. And chances are probably one batter at a time. So they're the relievers are a, are, that's a that's a great that's a great job. I must say it's a great career. Oh, yeah. People always say that punters in the NFL have it better, but they have to block and sometimes they get lit up and, and you know, you'll see them tear an ACL or, or rip a shoulder out of the socket trying to block some 300-pound guy running down the field. But if you're if you're a lefty reliever, you, you got a cushy mm. life making a no million doubt. and a half a year or two million a year. It's great. And Alan Mills, probably if, you, if that name rings a bell to you, and it did for me, I had to look it up, but when I saw his face, I, I recognized it from old baseball cards and just watching games as a kid. But he was definitely most known as a Baltimore Oriole middle reliever. So that's a, a guy, if you look him up, he had like a full goatee that was like real thick um, on, on like the outside mustache that I, that I remember. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a guy that, that was around for a while. He was on the Orioles teams when that was the Yankees biggest rival in the mid 90s. Obviously, the Jeffrey Mayer game and that whole ALCS really kicked things up a notch between the Yankees and Orioles. But it was, it was really from 96 through through 98. The Orioles in the division were the main rival to the Yankees. I mean, you remember that that famous brawl between Tino and was it Armando Benitez? Yeah, it was Armando. He was headhunting. If you if you haven't watched it lately, go to our Facebook page. I've posted it a few times, but that brawl was phenomenal. I mean, that was it was Tino who got hit in the back by Benitez, and it wasn't the first time Benitez had thrown, you know, above the shoulders. You know, at the Yankee players, and Tino just had enough of it. That's when you see. I mean, you see, you see some great ones. Girardi gets real hot, just like steaming. Uh, Graham Lloyd is like running and and just like pinballing off of people, throwing haymakers. Strawberry goes bonkers. It's a it's a great video to watch. Old school brawl. That you don't see many of those kinds of brawls these days. You just see a lot of yelling and hold me back, hold me back. Uh, but there were actually funny, some punches thrown in that one. Oh, that was a good one. And a funny note of this, I, I, I just found this out like, I don't know, about four years ago. But my brother-in-law was at that game. And there's a couple of just like very like pictures that are always – that were floated around for that game. And he's actually in the back. He had good seats that day behind the dugout, uh, one of the dugouts. And he's he's in some of these pictures. So I thought that was really neat that uh, that he was there for that game. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a great brawl. So you have a couple updates for us on where the podcast is available, right? 
Yeah, we're branching out a little bit. We just got accepted into Stitcher Radio. We put that in there. And if you're not familiar with Stitcher Radio, it's it's really just another avenue for you to get a podcast similar to what SoundCloud is and iTunes. But Stitcher is most likely more accessible for you if you have an Android phone. So so definitely check that out. They have a Stitcher app. Also, Google is slowly, I mean, they've been talking about this for a while and we did it a long time ago, but it's on the horizon that the Google Play Store, which is basically the iTunes store for all, of, all you people with Android phones or Google phones, is going to be adding a podcast section or a separate store. I don't know. But it's so they're going to be available on all those phones very soon, too, which is awesome for us because we want most of you guys to be listening to them on your mobile phone. It's the easiest way to consume what we do. And and yeah, so definitely check those those areas out. Um, obviously, you can get us on iTunes. You know that. We do appreciate. We've gotten a lot of reviews lately, and, and some some awesome some awesome comments in there. If you haven't given us a review, definitely check it out, and, and we'd love one for you. It helps us kind of climb in the rankings and, and get more visibility for us with Yankee fans, and and that's always appreciated. Yeah, I live in my Apple bubble, which I'm sure a lot of people do. So I don't venture into the Google Play Store or the Android yeah. App Store much. But it's good that that we're we're breaking into that arena. Hopefully, people who maybe can't get it on their mobile right now, can get it get it through that, so that are listening. So good stuff, good stuff. Um, so kind of a down week for the Yankees. It's so funny, people, you know, the, the, the difference between one week this early in the season is, is so magnified. You remember last week, it seems like forever ago that we were talking about it, how the Yankees were the best offense in the league through five games. They had the most runs scored. Fast forward a week, and they can't buy a hit uh, with runners in scoring position. So one week, a lot of things can change. A-Rod went into a huge slump. Um, Castro didn't hit quite as much on the road as he did at home. Ellsbury was really struggling. So a lot of things went bad for the Yankees over the last week. And, you know, what? I mean, you can't really blame the pitching over the past week, although the starters, you know, were not good by any means. But it was really the offense that let them down. I got a couple numbers for you that really explain how bad the Yankees' offense has been. So, how many times over the offseason did we say they need to get better against left-handed pitching? Pretty sure we said it every episode, but so far... Yeah, this, too, many, too many to count. It's, yeah. it's a, it was a huge, huge area of concern. So far this season, their OPS against lefties is 622, and it's 781 versus righties. And that number, 781, was a lot higher before the last couple days. So, against lefties, they're still not hitting, they're not getting on base, they're not hitting for power. It's, it's a mess, and you see guys like Jay, Jay Happ shutting you down like Jay Hap Jay, shut you down you stop you stop that you I almost know. called him J.A. I am what an idiot for putting the dots in front of his name but says no my name yeah. is Jay if you're J.A. Hap I'm gonna call you J.A. that's what I'm saying I'm kind of disappointed that you called him Jay I'm not doing it if you spell your name that way and you are and that's how you and that's how you roll then you deserve to be called J.A. Hap I'm sorry this is not a John Ryan Murphy, Murphy scenario this is a different scenario so anyway yes J.A. well J. Whether you're Jay, Ja, Jew, Ja, Ja, whatever you are, you shouldn't be shutting you down like that with that kind of stuff. Yeah, and isn't Jay half the guy that got hit in the head a few years ago? I think he was might have been with the um, with the Pirates. With the Pirates, yeah, but he got hit when he was with Tampa. I want to say. Anyway, he came. He was one of the first guys I think to wear the big helmet uh, that that was uh, protecting of the. Of, of the head a few years ago, which was interesting. But the guy's always had pretty good stuff. I understand he's not like a, a, a dominant left-handed pitcher that you're scared of. 
But it's just, it, just with this Yankee team, it doesn't seem like they need that. It's it's just left-handed pitching, pure and simple, is is an issue with these guys. And, you know, while we've added some additions, obviously, with right-handed bats and Castro and Hicks and Teixeira is healthy again, the remaining the remaining crew of these guys who struggled with, you know, against left-handers are still there. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be a drastic change, but we should be, as the season goes on, we should be improving on this. Should be. Yeah, should be. Castro has not hit as much against lefties as we thought. He had that big hit against Keuchel, which was great on opening day. But other than that, he doesn't really have much to speak about. We looked it up before the show. He's batting 250 against lefties, so not good at all. That's another opportunity for Girardi to pop Castro higher into the into the, the lineup versus a lefty, and he didn't. Hicks went back into that two spot again. So that's concerning to me if that's going to continue, honestly. I just I just don't understand that move. Yeah, and Hicks looked terrible. Yeah, he, he hasn't looked good. He into so. a double play, and, and it, was, it was just, you, you got to question why. It, I understand if, if, you know, fast forward to July and Hicks is batting 320 against lefties, and you say, well, I got to put him up top because he's raking lefties, kind of like yeah. what Chris Young did last year. Right. But he's not. He hasn't done that yet, so... I don't think Chris Young was batting second on the second week of the season last year, so why is Aaron Hicks doing it? I just don't understand. Um, and it's not just lefties. Runners in scoring position. They left 26 guys on base in Friday and Saturday's losses to Seattle. 26 Brutal. guys in two games. Brutal. I mean, yeah, I Yeah, that's, that's tough. I, every time they, they got runners on base, I almost felt like I could just turn the turn it off because I knew it was going to happen. It was going to be a pop-up or a strikeout or, or a weak ground ball. And they so many times they would get guys on base with nobody out, a guy on second, no outs, second and third, one out. All you need is a fly ball. Just manufacture a run. You don't need to score nine runs to win with this bullpen. You just need to get a lead. And and look what they did today. They just scratched out a lead, and it was game over. So they had chances to win these games, and, and they just could not get a hit with guys on base. It was so frustrating. Yeah, and you know the one thing we saw last year was this team was extremely streaky. You know, the, the the runs came in bunches, and then there would be, you know, a week of of one run games that we would lose, low scoring games because we couldn't do anything on offense. And I just I really hope this is not trending in the same direction that we can be a little bit more consistent with our run production and not just do it in bunches and then disappear and, and then do it in bunches and then disappear. I mean, that's not a way to go through the season. It's not a good way to to really build momentum. Because you just get shut down with that momentum, you know, on your next streak. So I'd really like to see more consistency. And I really believe that's, you know, that's going to be a lot of the lineup formation with Girardi. He's going to have to put Castro at the top of this lineup at some point. I really believe that for us to stay consistent against lefties and righties. Otherwise, we're going to start seeing, we're going to continue to see dips. After the game on Saturday, Girardi said that, you know, he's, he knows the offense is struggling. But that's what happens. Offense goes into slumps and then it gets hot and, and that's just the ups and downs of baseball. And I understand that. Not everybody's going to rake 400 the entire season. Like that, That's just not what baseball is. But the things that are annoying me is, like I just said, they're not even playing smart baseball. They're not doing the little things to scratch out runs. And that's not about being hot or cold offensively. That's just about play, be, uh, playing smart baseball. And, and offensively, they're really not playing smart. Yeah, and when you're if that is the case, and we are we're seeing these these longer stretches of not hitting, they have to do that stuff because you're going to then start turning those long, you know, those long droughts of hitting into losing streaks, and that's when things become a problem. So you're right; they need to start scratching these runs. They need to be more productive with with the little things in baseball. And 
look, first week of this first two weeks of the season, I'm not going to go crazy over it. So we'll, we'll see how much today was encouraging with the amount of running that they did. I, I liked it. They were aggressive. It was it was fun to watch. I know partly it was because the catcher behind the plate was trash. Yeah, worst, defensively. worst in the league at throwing yeah. out runners last season. So, you know, I, I but let's you know, let's put some pressure on these guys. We saw what we did last year when when Gardner and Ellsbury were moving on the base paths. You know, they're they, they make the pitcher uncomfortable at that point. Pitcher then leaves a ball up for, you know, the, the heart of our lineup to crush. It's just it, it, it all works together. It's a it's a well oiled machine when these guys are running well. And we saw Girardi move Beltron up to the three hole on Sunday because he was the only guy hitting in the previous few games, which A Rod was really struggling. You get Beltron in the three-hole, and fine, I like that. But Gardner has been hitting as well. Ellsbury has is not. I'm almost right. at the point where you gotta you gotta shuffle the lineup around and just stack the guys that are hitting together. When you're in this bad of a slump offensively, you can't have one guy who's hitting batting second, one guy who's hitting batting fifth, one guy who's hitting batting eighth. It's just too far apart. You're never gonna get any offense going that way. So I would stick all the guys who are hitting towards the top of the lineup and hope it just gets things going. And, um, you know, I, I liked the move to move Beltron up. I saw it coming. I tweeted out on Saturday after the game, you know, A-Rod's probably going to be moved down in the lineup, and I was fine with it. made sense. So, maybe. Yeah, and, Bel- and Beltron's been smoking the ball. I mean, he's been hitting line drive after line drive. He really looks good right now. Yeah, he, he picked up right where he left off at the end of last season, which, you know, he's, he's, he's one year older. I thought he would struggle again to start, but clearly he, he is not. Um. You know, before we get into the game breakdowns, also, finally, it took 11 starts, but finally a Yankee starter went seven innings. Tanaka did it today after a rough first inning. I did not think he was going to get seven innings after that first inning. But, man, two full times through the rotation without somebody pitching at least seven innings. But it finally happened. They do exist. Seven inning starts exist. Finally happened. That's that's good. I, I sent a tweet out on Bronx Pinstripe saying that, you know, are we really going to have another guy throwing in the seventh inning? This is amazing. And, you know, he looked good towards the end of the game. It really He really settled down and, and was extremely effective and efficient. I mean, he was efficient towards the end of that game, too. And he was getting a lot of swings and misses. So that was it was it was very good to see, you know, what he was able to do. And you're right. We need to start. We need to start piling these these seven inning games up a little bit more because the bullpen is going to be completely trashed by the end, you know, by by. August if we if we continue down this road and it wasn't even like they were going six innings they were going five innings everyone was pitching five innings so you're asking your bullpen to get four innings every night I don't care how good it is I don't care how many guys like Batances Miller or Chapman in a couple weeks that you'll have you can't ask them to get 12 outs every night it's not sustainable we saw it last year it wasn't sustainable it won't be sustainable this year so gotta gotta switch that up you know you can you can live with five innings from CC but you can't live with five innings from everybody else um so what started as a good week in toronto getting the win three to two tanaka battled in that game he did not have his good stuff he was nibbling against that lineup it's a brutal lineup to go through but but he kind of just battled with with mediocre stuff that day and the yankees won three to two in you know eked it out and that curveball that bautista struck out on from batances was maybe the nastiest pitch i've ever seen to get a guy on a 3-2 pitch and to throw him an 85-mile-an-hour hook like that with a runner on base, that was unbelievable. Thank God for Batances because he's, he's, he was the safety blanket that day. 
you know, when he's going right, when he's good, I, I, I believe that he's the most dominant closer in baseball. I, I'd say even more than Chapman because of that off-speed pitch, because of that curveball. That curveball, you don't see guys throwing 100 miles an hour that have a 12 to 6 curveball like that. And it, it is truly 12 to 6. That thing drops off of the face of the planet. And you can't swing at it because you have to be ready for a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. And you're just not ready for a pitch like that. So he makes people look foolish. And you say unfair. It is unfair. At a major league level, that's unfair. He's got some phenomenal stuff. And when he's pitching well, you know, he's he's really unhittable. But you need a lead or you need to lead to be tied to get to those guys. <laughs> and the offense, three runs uh, on Tuesday, they, they got it done. But, you know, the rest of the series, they scored two on Wednesday and two on Thursday. And it's just not enough. Another thing from that first game that kind of pissed me off was everyone giving Tanaka credit, like he, he like he just like he just did something amazing pitching five innings. Now I understand he didn't have his good stuff, and when you're facing guys like Donaldson and Bautista and Tulo and Encarnacion to to keep your team in the game when you don't have your good stuff, definitely does deserve credit. But people were praising Tanaka like this is the this is an ace to get five innings. Like give me a break on that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, you're right, because we expect him to at least give us that. I mean, that's those are bare minimums for your number one pitcher. This is a guy that you you expect him to go out and to do well against a, a stiff lineup. I mean, Toronto, we're going to be facing them, you know, however many times, 17 times, 18 times in the in a season. This is a team that we need to understand how to get out, and we need to be able to match up against them. And if nobody else is going to match up against them, your number one pitcher better damn well match up against them well. And and get you through those innings. So this is something that should be expected and not just looked at as, you know, a praiseable situation where, you know, you can just you can ride that. You're absolutely right. He needs to be able to do this consistently. Yeah, definitely. So today was encouraging against Seattle. Uh, step in the right direction for Tanaka, which is good to see. Uh, that game two in Toronto, though, they lost seven to two and it was a three to two ball game going into the eighth inning. And then that absolute meltdown by Ivan Nova was was the worst display of pitching I've ever seen. And I don't know if you saw it, but in back of Toronto's, uh, on the backstop, they had Pizza Nova signs, and there was an re- actual Pizza Nova in Toronto. And, I, you know, Nova was pitching like Pizza Nova that day. It was, <laughs> it was horrendous to watch. I don't understand the logic using a guy like Nova in a one-run game for a one-inning situation. Why not use somebody like Barbado? I mean, we're 100% 100 on the same page with this. I I sent a tweet out while I was watching that game. I knew as soon as I saw Nova in there that it was not going to be a good situation. He's not a guy that's been in situations that – that where he's thrown in a one a one run game coming in on the eighth inning being a one inning guy that's just he's not in that he's not that guy he's never been that guy so why expect him in a big situation against your against your division rival who won the division the year before to go in and and succeed in that situation I don't know I, I believe that Nova was set up for failure in that in that situation it's just not not how he's been used and I don't think he should be used that way and I'll tell you if, if he is going to be used that way how about we work him into a role like that and not just throw him into the fire against Toronto in that situation Barbado is a guy you know it could have been a couple of other guys but even if it is Barbado I have no problem he's been doing very well he's used to that type of situ- high pressure situation in a in a you know at the end of a game at the uh, with a with one inning to pitch so how about we put a guy in there that's that that knows how to do that one inning situation because to me it's a different mentality totally is and it was the Blue Jays two three four so all right-handed hitters their best hitters 
So Nova is not going to pitch well in that situation. Like you said, he's never done it before. His previous outing was, I think, four, three or four innings. So he was stretched out. It's just, it just was, was like you said, set up for failure. And I know what Girardi was thinking. He said, oh, I already have Nova warmed up. I can't sit him back down because then I waste him. But I don't care if you waste uh, Ivan Nova. Waste him. We don't need him. We don't need him for one inning. It's just going to hurt the team. So definitely would have gone with somebody else in that situation. Easy and, second and, guess. Second well, guess and then guess. also on that on that note, I mean, we need to make sure that Girardi is very clear that Ivan Ivan Nova is not Adam Warren. He's not a guy who's done both of these situations. Yes, he's the the guy that can go in and throw. To, he was battling for the fifth starter. Yes, he's going to be the long man, but he's not an Adam Warren who's who has actually done that before and come in and pitched in one inning situations in his career. He's not that guy. And Nova is a starter. He's just been a starting pitcher his entire career. So, you know, I don't know if he's just kind of slotting into a role and and that's that Adam Warren role. That we all thought like Brian Mitchell was a a, similar, a guy before the injury was gonna kind of slot into, but yeah, I don't think Nova's that kind of guy. He's not, and he doesn't want to be that kind of guy. He still thinks he's a starting pitcher, and especially especially in this year because he's in a contract year. Yeah. He knows that he does not want to be pegged as a one inning guy. Yeah, he's got to be so beside himself saying I'm not gonna get any sort of contract living in this bullpen. Um, he's gonna give he's gonna get a show me contract, a one year deal, and then he's gonna have to show somewhere. Yeah, yeah, he, he's in trouble with that. So the next night they face Stroman, who's the Blue Jays' ace. Stroman annoys me. He's very demonstrative on the mound. Kind of almost reminds me of Pedro in a way. He's a smaller guy, and he just sort of very eccentric on the mound. I I'm already hate Stroman. Didn't take me long. Uh, but it was Stroman versus Evaldi, and I know you missed this game. And you, as the president of the Evaldi fan club, I didn't think yeah. you were allowed to miss Evaldi starts. Yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed in in the fact that he pitched on Thursday. It was my first softball game on a brand new team, so I had to show up. And how'd you play? The, I played horribly. It was like 20 degrees. It was bad. It was really bad. I, I'm actually my regular team is there. We just we're not putting a, a team together this year. Too many things going on, and I just latched onto this other team uh, of these guys. They're all a bunch of older dudes, and it's very obvious. Like these older teams, like they have their guys. You know, they're all friends, and they all have their guys, and. I don't know. We'll they see. Have how scouting works, reports. You, you're not. You don't have the scouting report. I have no. They have no scouting report on me. Yeah. So that I don't know what the deal is. But we'll. We'll. we'll uh, I'll, I'll give you progress reports as the season goes on. We'll see how how it rolls. But um, yeah, I was disappointed too. I was watching on my phone when I could. So, but yeah, I, you know, I, I got nothing. I got nothing to say. I, I don't have anything to say about Avaldi. I can't praise him. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Uh, he's putting me in a very uncomfortable situation here, leading this charge for his fan club and trying to battle you every week about it. He's just not helping me. Well, this wasn't one of his worst starts. He, I, I was so petrified going into that game of Evaldi, who's a fastball pitcher up against a Blue Jays lineup that's a fastball hitting lineup. I was, I was terrified that he was going to give up bomb after bomb. And he actually kept the Yankees in the game. But you can only hold down that lineup so long. Fifth inning, gave up a mammoth three-run bomb to Donaldson, who didn't do anything off of any Yankee pitcher to that point in the series. So it was only a matter of time before he he killed you because he's a beast. He pimped it. I don't blame him. Hit it off the restaurant in center field. <laughs> like you, hit, you go off the restaurant in center field, you, you can pimp it. And this is this is the the last game of the series. You know, we knew he was kind of banged up going into the series. So I'm sure every day he was feeling better and better, you know, as that 
has his, has his uh, injury healed too. So this was the day he was able to tee off. And it's just unfortunate because it seems like, you know, there's that that one inning, that one pitch that Evaldi can't put a, a guy away. And and it's a big home run. I mean, that's a three-run shot that's, that's, that's back-breaking at that point. But he was pitching. He was trying to be perfect because his offense wasn't doing anything. The Yankees had multiple chances off Stroman in the first few innings, and they could not cash in. So... When you're in a 2-2 or a 2-1 ball game, which is what it was at that point, you got to be perfect. And if you try and be perfect against Josh Donaldson, he hung a splitter in the middle of the plate and it went 450 feet. And that's just that's been his his main problem so far this season is these he's hanging his breaking balls. He, you know, it was that slider in in the first start, now the the splitter in this. He's got to get those pitches down. I mean, you have to have those pitches down in the zone when he's when he's throwing them as you know a a, a compens as a as a as a pitch that that's supposed to complement that 98 mile an hour fastball. He's got to get that down in the zone because it's got to look like a fastball coming out of your hands and then breaks off the table. You know that's one of the most effective pitches if you can do it. But he's hanging them and when he hangs them, these guys have time to adjust. They'll sit back and they'll they'll tee off on it. So it's it's unfortunate that he was that he, was, he made that mistake. And you know, hopefully he can clean that up because he really does. He's he's in for a long season if he can't get that if that breaking stuff down in the zone. Yeah, very similar to how Severino's been pitching. Are you concerned at all with Severino at this point? The stats are not good. He's given up 18 hits in 10 and two thirds innings in two starts. I'm not I'm not worried about him because we saw him in an extended period of time last year. I mean, we saw a pretty good sample size from Severino. But this I is feel his like- second year, so now people have scouting reports on him. Yeah, but they had scouting reports toward the end of the year too, and he was still doing well. I, I just, I, I have a very difficult time coming out and saying I'm worried about somebody two weeks into the season. So if I see, you know, four to five starts of him really struggling, then then I'll start to worry. But at this point, I'm just, I'm just gonna kind of wait it out and hopefully he can adjust. And you know, maybe he's not all the way there yet. But I know sometimes pitchers take a, a little bit longer to to get warmed up uh, into the into the season. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not overly concerned though. If if that's what you're asking, I'm not I'm not raising any flags yet. I'm not either for for the reason that he's not giving up extra base hits. It's a lot of singles. So yeah. um, you know they're not squaring the ball up against him, which is good. But a weird stat that was mentioned on the broadcast, and it was that Severino has the highest average pitch velocity in the AL last year. It was like 92 miles an hour. Of a starting pitcher, yeah. Of a starting pitcher. It's a confusing stat because it's not highest average fastball. It's highest average pitch. So that includes his off-speed pitches, which, which tells me a couple things. One, he's throwing mostly fastballs. And two, there's not a lot of differentiation between his fastball and his changeup and slider and curveball. Yeah, and when I first heard this this stat on the yes uh, the yes broadcast, I kind of balked at it. I just I, I scratched my head. I, you know, I didn't know if they, if it was if they had it right. And then I got more clarification. Actually, I was watching. It, and if you've been checking it out, but they have a uh, they've been doing the Facebook live on uh, the Yes Network uh, f- uh, Facebook page, and they had kind of a behind the scenes of of their pregame meeting. You know, for for the broadcast. And when they were talking about the stat, uh, Jack Curry even kind of like scratched his head at, at what it was, but. But yeah, it's the it's the highest velocity of all of his pitches. So when when you when I first heard it, I was like, there's no possible way that he's the, at the top for starters. I mean, Evaldi's a starter and throws harder than he does average. There's no possible way he's there. But yeah, that that's basically what. Of course, I, that's big, who you go to first. Well, he is. <laughs> he's in the American League, and he is. And 
I think the one of the bigger problems, though, is is one of the things that you said is the differentiation differentiation between the breaking stuff and the fastball. You know, you look at Tanaka. Tanaka throws 94 miles an hour, but he's got a you know his, some of his off speed stuff goes into the low 80s. I mean, there's a huge difference, and he gets a lot of swings and misses. When you're when you're having more of a consistent speed when it's a, a slider and a fastball and they're only you know off by four three four miles per hour because he throws his slider pretty hard then then i think you're you're yeah, seeing it's almost more, like a cutter yeah you're seeing less you're, you're seeing you know less room for error at that point because guys are able to to adjust because he the speed a, isn't as different he had a good changeup last year though that i thought was in the low 80s at least that's what i remember well, I, you know, maybe that just needs to be thrown more often. See, that's that's exactly why I'm not worried about this. I feel like when you look back at this, and like you said, a lot of these are singles. I mean, I think the start before that, they were all singles. Yeah, the, the start in Detroit, he gave up a lot of seeing eye singles. But he couldn't put people away. That was sort of, you know, he's not getting crushed, but he got two strikes on a guy and then left a pitch up at the knees instead of getting it lower than the knees. So to me, these are adjustment things. You know, maybe he's got to you know increase you know throw in a couple of more off-speed pitches more often. And and to me, these are these are things that Severino and Rothschild just need to work on and, and kind of work through and just look back at the tape and what he's done. So I, I I don't think it's a stuff thing. I think it's an adjustment on you know maybe it's pitch selection or maybe he and McCann need to or he and Romine whoever he's throwing to need to get on a page uh, that's that's a little bit different and and you know mix it up more. Wasn't going to matter, though. Yankees couldn't hit in that game. They got one run. It was came on a home run in the first inning, and then they put up goose eggs after that. So, you know, Severino didn't pitch well, but when your offense only scores you one run, you're not going to win anyway. Um, Saturday's game really pissed me off for a couple reasons. Um, a lot of runners in scoring position fail, which was the whole week. So that's, that's yeah, that was game. like the that was like the week theme. Yeah, but Felix King Felix did not have his good stuff. He walked six batters, which I've never seen Felix Hernandez walk that many guys. He only pitched five innings, but the Yankees still could only manage two runs. So they got guys on base and they just couldn't move him in. Cece was actually matching him. He was pitching pretty well, and then the fifth inning, a play that. CeCe said after the game he has never seen, but it was a a 3-2 pitch, a ball hit up the middle, and the runner scored from first base because Jacoby Ellsbury dogged it and double-clutched the throw. He doesn't have a strong throwing arm anyway, so the Mariners were aggressive. They ran on Ellsbury from first base on a single. That's that's inexcusable. Yeah, and and I think... One, Ellsbury knows that that was that was terrible, terrible effort at, at what was going on, and they were talking about his defense today in the broadcast. Actually, just how how he has looked uncomfortable in the field. So, he's a good. He, I mean, he's a good defensive player. There's there's no reason for him to do these things, and, he, and we know he doesn't have a, a you know a legit strong arm. But he's always been a good defensive center fielder. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just maybe a little bit of rust early in the season, but he needs to get rid of that. But yeah, you're right. CC pitched well. CC did it exactly what he needs to do. I mean, th- that's what we need to get from CC. There's nothing, but you know, we get that. We should win the game. Bottom yeah. line, he pitched you four get that from and your two thirds, four and two thirds. But I think if it wasn't for that whole mess of a fifth inning and uh, an error by Headley that actually caused him in the fourth inning to throw, I think nine more pitches than he needed to. He would have pitched five innings, and if you get five innings, two runs out of CC, you take that every time. Um, Headley, though, horrible game on Saturday. He went 0-4. He made another throwing error, a high throw. So that that whole thing had been good so far, but you know here comes the bad throws again. 
and he was up with a chance to win the game at the end of the game, and he didn't come through. I, You know me. I hate Headley, but I think a lot of other people are starting to hate Headley at this point. He's really not showing well on on either side. You know, he's not he's not playing well. There was talk of him really working on the way he throws in the offseason, and he's starting to throw from more of a three-quarter slot. I still see more of an a, an awkward over-the-top motion most of the time. So I, apparently he's been working on that. I think he's in his own head with that whole thing. I, I think once it started and – because he never had that these problems before, you know, and it's like a knoblock situation where you get in your own head and you're just screwed, and and nothing feels right anymore. But yeah, he's been bad. He's just been not good. I mean, there's no, there's really not much you can say about him that's been good. I mean, even that video he put on social media was terrible. There's there's been a lot of bad things going on with Headley, and you know, Torres has been playing well, thankfully, when he's when he's been in. I mean, he's been he's been kind of holding it down. He's a guy who who. I think we've gotten a lot more than we expected out of out of him. So at least at least there's that. Yeah, clearly the Yankees spent a lot of time in spring training making these weird videos. We we had the the McCann H two bro. We had the Headley basketball one. We had the Step Brothers one with Castro and Didi. And uh, I think I'm missing another one. But they should have uh, Headley should have spent a little bit more time on his throwing motion, a little less time on his acting skills. I think. <laughs> um, A-Rod today broke out of his 0 for 19 slump with a two-run homer, which I don't know if you were listening to the John Sterling call, but Sterling called it as a base hit down the left field line and then goes, and it's gone. <laughs> I was listening. I was like, wait, what just happened? He had That's miscalled awesome. a Teixeira home run the inning before and then miscalls the A-Rod actual home run. So kind of a rough day for Sterling. Uh, he needs to get into the swing of things of summer before he he gets his it is high, it is far, it is gone calls down to a T. Yeah, and after we saw him in person, I'm getting a little worried about him. You know, I I hope he's uh, I hope he's doing okay Awfully off scrum. the field as well. Yeah, he was definitely a lot he was definitely a lot thinner than than I was expecting to to see him. So I hope he's doing okay uh, first and foremost. But um, yeah, I'm glad A Rod got kind of off the schneid. I mean, I don't know if it's him sitting on pitches and just getting lucky and and getting the bat around the ball, but. He doesn't look the same. He doesn't look that comfortable. He looks yeah. like he these guys are, are really able. The pitchers, you know, have a, a really good idea on how to work work through a rod at this point. And he's not attacking I, at the plate. He's kind yeah. of hitting defensively. So he's always been a guess hitter. So if he guesses right and gets his pitch, obviously he can still hit it hard like he did today. But an at bat later in the game, he was ahead of the count one and zero, and Iwakuma, Iwakuma, however you say his name threw a spinning 82-mile-an-hour slider in the middle of the plate, and A-Rod just double-clutched on it. Couldn't pull the trigger. It was a very hittable pitch. Michael Kay on the broadcast, or Paul O'Neill, somebody said, oh, A-Rod should have crushed that pitch. So yeah. still still not quite right for A-Rod at the plate, but he did have a home run. I think he probably bats six for the next few games and try and get a little bit more comfortable at the plate. So we're talking about getting worried for Severino two weeks in, two starts in. I mean, are you are you at some point now looking at A-Rod, looking at him as a 40-year-old man and not the same guy? Um, not yet because a couple or, reasons. I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw those all those advanced metrics over the past week on A-Rod where he hit a lot of line drives and he's got the worst batting average in the AL on balls in play. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I, I didn't see the metrics, but yeah. Yeah, So and he hit a couple balls hard in Toronto that just didn't get down. He hit him right at Bautista a couple times. So it's not been good for Aaron. I'm not saying he's, you know, he looks the same to me. He clearly does. You sound like you're already talking about Stephen Drew is what, it's, what you sound like. <laughs> I think I, I Aaron think has a little bit better track record than Stephen Drew. Yeah, I'll give him that. He does. Yeah. That, that's, that's true. Um, but he is 41. It's not... 
it might not come back for him. I, I still think it will, though. He, he, he's not done yet. I, I, I just don't think it, it's, it's over for A-Rod at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I just don't, I don't know because I don't know how much the age comes into it. At, at what po- at some point, the age is going to come into it, right? It's going to have to come into it, and it's going to be – it's not going to get good because if he doesn't get it to a hot start like he did last year, I mean, he was just lethal, and, and, then, and then he fell off the face of the earth. Well, I, I don't expect – honestly, I don't expect the end of the season to be – maybe it will be a little bit better, but I don't expect it to be too much better. He's going to get tired. No matter how much he rests, it's not going to matter. The man's going to get tired, and – so I think he does need to get off to a very hot start and to a good start. One, for his confidence. Two, so that he is you know, respected uh, with the other pitchers, the opposing pitchers as well. Because it's, it, could be a, it could be a long season for him if he, if he gets off to a uh, – if, if this slump continues. So another thing about A-Rod that I want to mention is did you see that Instagram he posted on Kobe's last game? And there was a foxy young lady sitting next to him who clearly yes. was not Ann Wojcicki. <laughs> in Woj, a Woj, yeah, a Rod and a Woj, yeah, it was not a Woj. This girl was, uh, I mean, she was, she was pretty good looking. Yeah, clear. And, I'd say, and I'd say a she, solid ten. She was not Beltron because Beltron's married, so she was right? not Beltron's wife. And I think Castro's married as well. And she was not. She was sitting next to a Rod. She had a drink. So she well, see, that's not, where I think she was wrong. not a waitress or anything like that. I don't think that was her drink, and two, I don't think she was sitting. I think she was squatting next to him and just kind of posing for the picture. Why I don't would think A-Rod just call a random girl into the picture, though? I don't. I think I think that she wanted to take the picture, and then he's like, "Oh, that looks good. That's a nice picture of, of us." So and he put but, it up. So he's got it. He's he's if he's dating Awojichiki, he can't be doing that. She's gonna be upset about that. She will be. I mean, but you know, she's she's a different type of person. She's a different. She doesn't get jealous. It was in Toronto, though. A Woj doesn't get jealous. When you're in a different country, you can get away with some more stuff. Everyone. It was that. a very grainy photo. If you, it was not a high res photo. It was a very grainy photo. It came from a flip phone, possibly. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Arod strikes <laughs> me as someone who's still got a Motorola flip phone. Um. All right. So two and four over the week. Not good by any stretch. Uh, at least Tanaka stopped it today. That's what you want out of your number one pitcher. You notice how I didn't say ace, but the number one pitcher Tanaka did stop the losing streak, so you got to give him credit there. I mean, he's. That, let's talk about that for a second, just quickly, because that's actually very important. Because when we do hit these streaks and we have Tanaka going, he does need to play that Andy Pettit role and stop it in his tracks. And he, you know, for to his credit, through his career with the Yankees, his short career as as it, as it is, he's been very good at that in that role to really kind of just bring back some some you know consistency and just a little bit of control to the team when he does pitch if we're if we're in a losing streak so you know that's one thing he's always been very good at yeah and you can kind of take a mental break if you're the team you got monday off you gotta you're still on a long home stand so actually let, why don't we we have a bunch of mailbags that we're going to get to but let's actually preview the upcoming games then we'll do the mailbags to end the show so if you're the team you can kind of you know say we got to win we salvaged a series tanaka pitched well we have Monday off, and then we got Oakland coming in. Oakland's playing right now, but they're so playing KC, but their record going into Sunday was five and seven, and their offense is terrible. They ranked twenty-five out of thirty in runs scored. So, if you're the Yankees pitching staff, you got to be saying to yourself, "We can pitch well against this team. Let the offense go to work." The Yankees are not going to be facing Sonny Gray, so a bad Oakland team coming into the Bronx Tuesday to Thursday, the Yankees should easily take two out of three, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm looking for I'm looking for some some build off of today's game and and let's take a three three games from them. I mean, this is a this is a perfect opportunity at home. Get the bats going. It's I mean, I, I know that their pitching staff has been 
uh, pretty good in the beginning of the year. But in all honesty, I mean, you're at, at Yankee Stadium. This is a this is an opportunity where we can kind of make their their numbers a lot worse and and really get off of the off of that slump with with our with our pitching with our batters. I think this is a great opportunity for us to to take a, a good sweep and and take some momentum into Tampa Bay because. Like you said, they're not going to be scoring a lot of runs, so this is an opportunity for the Yankees to win some games. Yeah, going to be a lot of pitchers' duels over the next six games because Tampa comes into the stadium after Oakland, and they're second to last in runs scored. So you got Oakland, who's 25 out of 30, and you got Tampa, who's tied for 27th out of 30 in runs scored. So if you're the Yankees pitching staff, you got to be licking your chops. And Tampa has two hitters, Evan Longoria and Desmond Jennings. Other than that, they got nobody. Um, you know, their pitching staff is pretty good, but you know, their last place in the division, if you're the Yankees, you know, six games, you got I want to see five, five out of six. How about that? Yeah, I, I would, I would two out of three to Tam- uh, against Tampa would be good. I, I definitely want to, to, to sweep Oakland. This, this is, this is an opportunity for everybody to start like, look, let's, let's see what this is. Let's see what they are. And, and, and let's get out of our, uh, get out of our little slumps, both with pitching depth, getting, getting depth into the game and, and with our bats, we need to get these bats going. Get ready for a lot of guys you've never heard of in this Oakland series. <laughs> kind of a no name team. All right, let's get into some mailbags. We got a ton of mailbags. So thanks for everybody for submitting. If you uh, want to submit a, a mailbag to the podcast, it's bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. And you, there's a form right there. You can submit it. So the first one comes from Brian Lujan, and he actually gave us the the phonetic spelling of his name, which I really do appreciate because we know we we can't read out loud. It, it's a real problem. But he it says is an issue. he says big fan. Really appreciate the amount of quality content you guys put out. Here's my question for discussion. Recently, ESPN reported that the NBA owners will be getting together to vote as to whether or not ads would be allowed on teams' jerseys for the 2017-18 season. Is it highly, uh, is it highly speculated that this vo- vote will pass? Do you guys think this will have any major implications on all U.S. sports, especially baseball? Also, do you feel that such a ruling would take away from the sanctity of the game, especially turning players into walking billboards? Thanks in advance. So. So. What do you think? The, I, I really hope it never happens in, in baseball. You know, basketball, I, I feel like it's a – I don't even know. I don't even know how to say it. If basketball feels like it, it, it could work. Uh, I could see it how I could see it, it working in basketball. Though? I don't know. It just feels different to me for some reason. Uh, maybe maybe it's 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 because the uh, – there, there, I don't know. There's a lot more personality in basketball and – wouldn't you be taking away personality if you're slapping, you know, Coca-Cola signs on a guy's back? And there's less real th- estate. There's less actual uniform in basketball. I know, but for some reason, it just, I don't know, it feels right. It's a gut feeling for me. <laughs> baseball, I, I, when I think of no, baseball, you're just, I think a, of tradition. you're just a baseball fan. <laughs> no, I think of tradition. I think of, like, of, of purity. I think, of, I mean, it's a horrible word to use for baseball these days, but, <laughs> but I think that's what yeah, I that, think of. That 90s era was really pure. <laughs> I, I think of I just think of it in a different light. I think I put baseball in a different light than I put any other sport. I could see it happening in basketball. I could see it happening in football. I could see it happening in hockey. I just I don't know. I just can't see it in baseball. I can't see anything on that Yankee uniform but pinstripes. I just can't. You know, I, I can't see that happening. So do I want it to happen? Hell no. Do I want that to happen? And I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's a lot of areas you could put sp- stuff in baseball that, that, that we're not going to touch the jersey. So we'll see how it goes in basketball. Here's the only way I would be okay with it. 
So there's been a lot of talk over the last few years in baseball that the season is way too long and you got to shorten it. The problem is, though, owners are never going to agree to shorten a season because that's less revenue. That's less TV revenue and less actual you know, ticket sales and, and all the concessions and everything. So you're not going to cut the amount of games. But what if you could add logos to jerseys to make up for that lost revenue? And then you can cut it down by two weeks in the season because you've got you know, you're supplementing the revenue somewhere else. So that's the only way I would ever agree to it because I actually do think baseball could benefit from a shorter season, not only because the weather sucks in early April, but for 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 me, the season's not too long, but for 99% of the people out there, the season is too long. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't see the, I think it's such an old boys club that I, I just can't see them doing it. I really can't. I can't see it getting passed. I, I don't see, I don't, I could never see a ruling actually get passed for, for something like that. I mean, I, I don't know. I just – I don't have any real reasoning nor, nor do I have anything to back it up. Doesn't soccer the fact do that, it? Doesn't European I, soccer do it? Well, I, doesn't, I was going to say doesn't Japanese baseball do it? I felt like Japanese baseball did it as well. They I might. feel like I can see them. And, and Chinese basketball. Like I feel like when like Starbury went over there, I, I feel like I saw ads on his stuff. I feel like they do it in other countries, but it just hasn't really happened over here. So the, the, the XFL did it, right? <laughs> he hate me. I think well, he was wearing. He he hate me. Had Coca Cola on. XFL needs all the all the money they could get. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't know. I just don't ever see it happening. That's 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 all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay, for us. <laughs> all right, thanks, Brian. Interesting question. Um, but I think Scott and I are on the same page. We don't want to see it. All right, what's our next one? So the next question is from Mr. Israel Salcedo. Thank you for not giving me the pronunciation, and thank you, Andrew, for making me pronounce that. You notice Appreciate how I, I did the first one with the pronunciation. Yeah, that had the phonetic. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> thank you, Israel, for, for writing in. He says, hey, guys, I love the show. Since I found your show in iTunes podcast, I never miss a show. He's from, I'm from Mexico, and I'm excited to see guys like Luis Sessa make his way to the big leagues with the Yankees. My question for you is if he can be part of the Yankees rotation for the next year when CC and Nova's contract ends. So that's actually a really good question. Uh, first of all, thank you for, for listening to us from Mexico. That's awesome. I'm we've glad got, that we've got Mexico, Ireland, Australia, England. Um, yeah, there's another there's another country over uh, you know in in Western Europe or Eastern Europe, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, we're I don't global, know. Scott. We're global. We are global. If you look at some of the the, the stats from we, we can see like when you download, we can see you when you download and listen to us. We can see where you are, and there's there's actually a lot of countries. But yeah, so this is a very good question, and I think it's a very one. It's a very relevant question because Sessa got sent down this week, and you know you could look at this two ways. You can look at it that Sessa got sent down because the Scranton shuttle is just is got passed up and ready to go. And we were facing, you know, a lot of left-handed batters. So Girardi wanted another left-handed option out of the bullpen, or you look at it like I look at it. And I think that they're putting Sessa back down in Scranton so that he can get stretched out again, because Luis Sessa in, I believe in the minds of the Yankee brass is a starting pitcher. And one of the big reasons they acquired him for in that Justin Wilson trade was for minor league starting pitching depth. And when you bring him up and you put him into this bullpen, you know, as a as a short inning guy, 
you're losing that depth in the in AAA, which can hurt you down this down the road. And we all know what the injury situation has been with the Yankees rotation, and we're going to need that depth because we're going to have you know probably seven eight guys taking starts, you know maybe even more than that this year. So I, I do see him as a as a long term guy in this organization, and I see him as a as a rotation guy. So I think he has a very good opportunity to to win a job as early as next year. I think I think you uh, I think you're right on with that. Yeah, and CC and Nova probably won't be on the team next year. First of all, Nova is in a contract year, and we just talked about how he's in the bullpen, and I think the relationship between him and the Yankees is kind of deteriorating. Barring an injury to somebody else and Nova having a really strong season out of the rotation, I just see the Yankees and Nova moving on from one another. CC, um, whole other thing. So for the longest time, I thought that next year the Yankees could buy CC out of his contract for $5 million dollars, Thanks, big fella, for all the work you've done for us. Here's $5 million to basically not be on our team anymore. But I got some feedback on Twitter that they can only buy him out if he has those specific shoulder injuries. So to tell you the truth, I don't even know what the answer is. I still think they can buy him out no matter what because what would be the point of the stipulations in the contract if they still had to pay him no matter what? It makes no sense. So they're only on the hook. I looked on uh, Cots Baseball which is done by Baseball Prospectus, they're only on the hook for $5 million next year for CC. Obviously, if they pick up the option, it's $25 million total. So I, I think CC, this is his last year. And you're looking at guys like Sessa, obviously, is a, is a guy that they're going to be looking at. There's no doubt that the, the organization likes him a lot. Cashman likes him a lot. Girardi likes him a lot. You're going to see... Um, Caprillion moving up. He's He's been phenomenal in the minor league so far. Everyone's That's a guy that you're going to... Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna definitely he's gonna be on your radar at least maybe not to start the season but he's a guy that's that's gonna be moving you know quickly through the rotation. Obviously, it depends on how he does as he as he as he uh, gets bumped up. But quickly on him, um, did you see the comments Roberto Alomar made about him? Yeah, yeah, I did. We wrote an article about it, and uh, he was pretty much glowing about the kid that he's major league ready. Yeah, it's. I mean, to say that a kid who's just ba- basically just just drafted and what is he twenty years old? And he's already got big league stuff is, is pretty impressive out of Roberto Alomar, who has seen a few pitchers his, in his day. Yeah, but, you know, those so those so I think Sessa really does have have a bright future. And I think that bright future could very possibly be in, in pinstripes. I think they really like this guy. And, you know, they weren't going to give up Justin Wilson, who was a really big part of last year's team, unless they got somebody that they really believed in. And I think Sessa's the the guy that they, they truly believe in in that trade. So, um, yeah, great, great question. Again, Israel, thanks for for listening to us down in Mexico, and uh, hopefully your boy is up next week, next year. Good stuff. Next one comes from Dylan, and I think this one got lost in our inbox because it's about the Tiger series, but it still applies, and we can still talk about it. So Dylan says, resting players already? I'm writing this a few hours after watching game one against the Tigers. Why are we resting three players after just three games? These are professional athletes who are getting paid millions of dollars to play a sport with very little to no physical contact. There is no reason to be resting an outfielder or DH after three games. If it's that physically taxing to bat four times in a game for three games in a row, then that player doesn't belong in professional sports. So I feel I feel your frustration, Dylan. And he's specifically talking about when Girardi rested uh, McCann, Beltron, and A-Rod on the same day in Detroit. But I think we're seeing why guys like A-Rod need days off Headley needs days off because they're old and they just can't physically play every day. They're not good enough to do that anymore. So 
it's going to be annoying because there's going to be days where A-Rod goes three for four or McCann goes three for four and Girardi's got him on the bench the next day. It's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting frustrated now, you're going to be so frustrated as the season goes on. So I, my, my my word of advice, Dylan, is to just like take a deep breath and just, just let it play out because we're going to see you guys rested. And we know how Girardi likes to, to do his, his own – he's got his own methods to his madness. And, you know, look, at the end of last year, he got us into the playoffs with a team that probably shouldn't have gotten into the playoffs. So – for all for all the you know criticism and frustration that we have for him, you know he he ended the season extremely well as far as a management and and doing the things that he did with the offense. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna work, get too worked up about it. But yes, we're gonna see A Rod sit a lot, and uh, if he doesn't get out of this streak, you're gonna see him sitting a lot more. Yeah, he's gonna they're gonna rival the Red Sox for amount of dollars on the bench. Yep. So next next mailbag is from Mr. Jimmy Luca. Hey guys, with the rumors of Swisher coming back, and this is uh, this was early in the week, so he is back. He's with the AAA. I know he was a great Yankee, especially in the 2009 season. Do you think bringing him back will be beneficial to us at this point in time, especially with all of our great options, other options in the outfield? And um, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting point. The whole signing was an interesting deal, bringing Swisher back. And I know you talked to. Donnie quite a bit in uh, the previous episode, the bonus episode that we released uh, on Sunday, uh, more about this. So, you know, why don't you uh, talk about what what you guys talked about regarding Swish? We did. Um, But a a really interesting point came up. And if you had to, I don't know if you listened to the whole episode, but if you had to pick one guy on the roster currently who Swisher would replace, who would it be? Yeah, I know. I listened to to the episode and you guys – we're talking about Ackley, and I, he seems like the most logical situation yeah, because in a guy. You can't take Hicks off because Hicks is too versatile in the outfield. You can't take Torres off because he's the only guy who can play third base and shortstop. Uh, right. And you're you're not going to take a backup catcher off, obviously, and you're not going to take a bullpen arm off because Girardi goes through bullpen arms like they're nothing. So it's got to be Ackley. He's the only one because Ackley really struggled at first base, and he hasn't really hit so far, but – are the Yankees going to already give up on Ackley? They just traded for him last season. So if Swisher hits, it's going to be an interesting decision that Cashman's going to have to make. Yeah, and he's got the opt-out by, what, June 15th, right? June 15th is his opt-out if he's not on the Major League Club at that point. And if he's not on the Major League Club at that point, it's probably because he's got nothing left. And if he's got nothing left, I don't know if he's going to opt out of that deal. I think he may just ride it out and see if he can't latch on at some point because – you know, I know he he claims that there were few other teams and he wanted to play for the Yankees, which I really appreciate and I like. I was always a Swisher guy. I, I like his his attitude. I like the positive attitude. Some people don't like the antics. Um, personally, I like his you know the way he plays. He, he looks like a kid out there playing ball, and I like that. And he was to me, he was a good Yankee. But I just don't know how much he has left. I mean, the guy's getting older. You can definitely tell his his swing is a lot slower. He's just he's not as versatile. And I, I just I don't know if he's getting to that point where baseball skills are just diminishing. He's not going to be an effective major league baseball player anymore. Yeah, maybe he can sort of catch rejuvenation bug like Soriano got in 2013. Sorry, was done when he came to the Yankees, but he really played a good. Uh, he was a DH uh, left fielder for the Yankees at the end of 2013. Hit a bunch of home runs. Maybe Swisher can be rejuvenated because he's excited to be on the Yankees again, which is legitimately yeah. the reason I think Soriano played well. Uh, he was just happy to be back. 
Um, and I think that does, that that can really help. Honestly, I, I think in baseball, you know, your mindset and and the your happiness, literally, and how much fun you're having affects directly your play on the field. Yeah, yeah. He was going to be on a last place Braves team, so it's a big it's a big different situation for for Swisher. Maybe he can and help he's against lefties. Paid. He's already knows. getting paid too. He's already getting right. paid a lot of money, so the money's million. not an issue. Yeah. Right. So he's uh, just going to go where he wants to be. I, I'm also a, Swish, a Swisher guy. I know he didn't hit in the playoffs, but I think he played an integral role on the in the clubhouse, and he he had a lot of good seasons. He made the All Star team one year, so definitely uh, was a great Yankee, as you said. Okay, next mailbag comes from Cam Hartman, and he simply asks: Will Aaron Judge and Jorge Mateo become big time players or just average players? So, Judge and Mateo are two of the biggest prospects in the system. Um, Mateo is a lot lower in the organization at this point than Judge is. Um, I talked to Donnie about Judge, and he said, you know, as great as his power is, he's a great all-around player. He can run the bases. He can field. He's got a hell of an arm, which we witnessed firsthand in spring training. He said he's going to strike out a lot, but other than that, he doesn't really have a lot of flaws. So I don't think there's any question that Judge is the next right fielder of the Yankees. And in today's game, you can strike out a lot. It's it's accepted. It's it's okay. It, 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 you know, a lot of a lot of scouts are not really taking that as much of a knock anymore. Whereas, you know, back in the day, even ten years ago, if you strike out a lot, you know, it's a real knock to you as a baseball player. But as long as you can, you have productive numbers, you can strike out. I mean, it's it's really not as uh, as big of a black mark as it used to be. So, you know, this this is such a this is such a waiting game for these guys. I think. I think that Jorge Mateo is probably the the closer thing to a, um, you know, a sure thing. Uh, I think Mateo's got so many physical tools as far as like the speed and you know the way that he plays. I think he's 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 got less room for error as far as getting to a major league club than than Judge does. I mean, he judges further along along. But Judge has, you know, has some some obstacles to overcome. I mean, he's got to really shorten that swing up. He's got to prove that he can hit AAA pitching, and then he's got to go up to another level and and prove that he can do that. While I think the organization is absolutely on track to bringing him up for next year, being the right fielder, you know, to to that to say that he's going to be an All Star caliber major leaguer, I just don't know. I think the jury's still out. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yep, the jury's still out on Judge. You're right. It is, and it. <laughs> Um, he, he's hitting, he's hitting in AAA so far in the young season, hit his first home run over the weekend. Um, I think both players will be, will be good players. These are not, these are not the prospects of the, you know, mid two thousands where they they were, they were, you know, they were just names in the Yankees organization and they were crossing their fingers that one of these would work out. They've got a lot of guys who are legit major league talents, Judge and Mateo are two of them. So I would be very excited about both of them. I am. Um, so Cam, I, I think it's safe to say both will be good players in the major leagues. Mateo's it's interesting guy, real quick, just about the position, you know, about what we have right now with Castro and Didi. I know we talked about this before the season and, and you know, talk when we talk about prospects, but there's gonna be a hole in third base at some point very soon. And, you know, with three guys that are extremely talented, I, I'm very interested to see what happens with those. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. <laughs> All right, next question is from Shane Smith. Hey guys, great podcast. I wanted your opinion on something. If we are sitting at first place come the trade deadline, do you think we can trade for an ace on a contract year like Strasburg? Or do you think Cashman will stick to his youth and save some money? Mind you, CeCe's contract could be Strasburg's contract next year. So 
I don't think Strasburg would ever be moved because I think Washington is in it for this year. Uh, they're yeah. playing well. They're not going to give up on Strasburg. But could the Yankees trade for an ace if they're in the playoff hunt? I absolutely think they could. Um, there's going to be a lot of teams out there who are out of it. You know, one of them is Oakland, who we're seeing, and Sonny Gray. So, you know, at the right price, the Yankees could trade for them. I just don't think the Yankees are going to give up the big-name players. They were untouchable at last year's trade deadline. What makes you think they're going to be suddenly touchable at this year's trade deadline? Yeah, you know, the more we talk about this and think about what could happen at the trade deadline and, you know, looking at the the people that, that will be asked for, because, I mean, if you're talking about a guy like Sonny Gray, they're going to want Mateo, they're going to want Judge, they're going to want, you know, Sanchez, they're going to want these guys in this deal. They're, it's not going to happen without it. Because somebody is going to give their number one prospect for a guy like Sonny Gray, who's controlled. I think we talked about this. He's controlled for what, like three years or so. He's, he's, not, got, he's not arbitration eligible until after 2019. Yeah, so this guy is a young starting pitcher who has phenomenal stuff and is team controlled through 2019. I mean, that's a guy that's a dream for a general manager. So someone they're going to get a haul for him if, if he's if he's on the market, you know, at, at midseason for a contender. They're going to get someone's going to give up their big guys, and unless Cashman is is okay with giving up one one two possibly three of these guys, because that's what it's going to take, then you know. Then, then something like that could happen, but I, I just don't see it happening. I, I think we could possibly get, you know, more help at, at maybe a second tier guy, um, and and you know, not not someone like Sonny Gray though. I think more of a second tier guy is realistic. I don't think the Yankees are in win now mode. That doesn't mean they don't want to win, but I I don't think they're win now at all costs. Like we saw many times in the in the late '90s and early 2000s, where they traded away really good prospects for guys that could help them immediately. Um, the Yankees are in it for the long haul. Whatever happens this year is gravy. So I don't see them giving away any of their big prospects um, for, for an ace, and that's what it's going to take. All right, next question. This up- is from Kirby Yates. <laughs> Every time he writes in as Kirby Yates. So we're going to act like he is Kirby Yates. He says, I, am I going to Scranton the moment I pitch three-plus innings of relief in a game? Thank you, uh, Kirby. Nice, uh, nice helicopters in the background there. Oh, you can hear that? Um, Shake, shaking my house right now. <laughs> yeah, Kirby, you're on that Scranton shuttle as soon as you pitch three innings and you're no longer useful to Girardi. Uh, yes. That's just the way it is. Scranton shuttle, uh, the first ticket was punched. Tyler Olsen was already called up and sent back down. Came up for one day. I don't even think he got to sleep, at, sleep in New York City. Just came up for the game. All right, thanks a lot, Tyler. Here's your ticket back to Scranton, two-and-a-half-hour bus ride. Now Pinder's up. So I talked to Dan, uh, Donnie about this, uh, who will be really riding the Scranton shuttle this year. And he's really high on James Pazos, who we saw last year. He's a lefty, but he was high on Pazos' stuff. He said out of all the guys, he could really see Pazos playing in the majors as far as stuff-wise. But um, I know you and I have discussed this, where the Scranton shuttle is no longer going to be two seats. It's going to be one seat. So that right. changes things a little bit. Yeah, and Pazos, it's interesting that he, that Donnie was talking about Pazos as a stuff guy. And, you know, I think what hurts Pazos is the fact that he's a lefty and that the Yankees are, you know, at this point, chock full of lefties, lefty relievers. And, you know, there's another guy that they're keeping a very close eye on 
who was a former, you know, top round guy that they had a lot of hope for in Jacob Lindgren. And he's still down in Tampa. And one of the reasons he's down there is because they want to keep a very close eye on him and how he's progressing. But he's a guy that's going to be in Tampa and then jump up probably to Scranton at some point, you know, if deemed healthy enough to go up there. So I'm interested to see how that happens. I also want to know if like if you're on this roster of guys who ride the shuttle, like are they going to chip in and just like pimp out this bus and like make it like a really nice ride? I mean, no, it's a greyhound. They're ri- they're riding with people who are commuting into New York City from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I know, but why? How about why don't they rent like you know one of those party buses and and just throw in on that thing and make it you know ride in style? I think I feel like they could make this into like a, a web series. So I just so I've been watching reruns of The Office on Netflix, um, and it <laughs> coincided with when I talked to Donnie about Scranton. But it just reminds me of when Michael was going back and forth to uh, New York City. And he gets to New York and he's like, oh, I'm going to my favorite local pizza shop. And they pan over and it's just Sbarro. Sbarro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's what uh, all these, these young and uh, youngins are like when they get to Manhattan. And Kirby Yates is no different. Um, but, uh, yeah, Scranton Shuttle. Um, hopefully this, the, the final guy in the bullpen does not play a huge role once, once these starters get a little bit more length. And we got the big three going. Um, you know, the 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 last guy in the bullpen should be the least of our worries this year. All right, so that's going to do it for our mailbags. Um, you know, I think we said it already, but the, the Yankees need to start hitting and playing better be- uh, baseball offensively over these next couple days, or else um, it's not you know it's not going to change. You're going to keep losing games two to one, three to two if that doesn't change. Um, Scott, you see that you seeing the same thing, or you know, what's your key for the upcoming week? Yeah, the bats. The bats got to come alive. We need we need guys to we need guys to hit. We need guys to get hot and and kind of we need to be able to to rely on a few a few of these guys in the order to to drive in runs and get on base. And we need more we need more length from the starters. There's just no question about it. They they have to they have to do their job better. I mean, every single one of them has to do their job better and and take some some heat off of this bullpen because this bullpen has been phenomenal and it's just not gonna. It's not going to stay that way for forever. It's it's just not going to happen. It's going to have bad so. nights. It's not going to have a lot of bad nights, but there's going to be a night where they give up runs. And if you're only scoring two runs, then you're shit out of luck. So there's right. a there's a couple there's a couple things for that are coming up early in this week that I wanted to just make some notes on for the season two. Right. One of, or for for the website, one of our uh, Danielle McCartan actually got and scored a uh, an Andy Pettit interview last week. Which is was pretty awesome, and we're gonna be putting that up on the site probably tomorrow or Tuesday. So Monday, or Monday or Tuesday, it'll be up on the site. And then one of our guys, uh, Keith McPherson, also was in Wrigley Field over the weekend and got some video of uh, some interesting Castro stuff. <laughs> Looking for a Castro jersey and talking to some fans about Castro. So definitely check those out and uh, keep an eye out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that Pettit interview. It'll be the first Yankee professional player to appear on Bronx Pinstripes. I love it. Danielle's um, out there hustling, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. All right, good stuff. Uh, hopefully the Yankees can turn it around, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.